Howdy, buckaroos. My name is Myers Raymer. Hey, any of you guys skiers in here? Is there a, is there such thing as a ski area like this that doesn't have any hills? I did. I just don't want the mountains. I just, I just want some flat stuff with somebody pulling me around like that. <laughs> I, just, I walked up that hill this morning, and I'm looking down, and I'm going, come on, come on. I want to weep, and I'm on solid ground, man. I can't imagine what it would be like to be on skis up there. Some of us are cut out of different stuff, I can tell you for sure. Uh, and I was born with no backbone. I mean, I'm just like, oh, God. Um, you know... This stuff we were talking about this morning, this step one type stuff, the, the, it is truly amazing to me um, how the stuff that Chris was talking about, how few people in our fellowship actually understand the nuts and bolts of this thing. It's, it's funny how we tend to drift as we sit in meetings, assuming that we're getting the solution. And sometimes you are, depending on where you are, but sometimes you're not. But, but there seems to be, you ever wonder what we teach the new guy in most of the meetings that we go to? We teach the new guy that if he manages well, he can stay sober. If I can, if I can just keep from yelling at my wife, she'll touch it again and things will be warm and fuzzy. And, I, if, and if, she's, if she's touching it, I won't have to get drunk. I mean, that's, I mean your, our head just makes all kinds of intellectual connections and it's just the craziest thing in the world. And the stuff that Chris was talking about, we know that that's true. It doesn't make any difference whether she's touching it or not touching it. You're still going to drink. That's just the way that thing works. But in, the, but in the bigger picture, guys, isn't it funny that um, what's the only thing that makes us change? I'll help you. Pain. Pain. She got it right off the bat. I didn't even have to help her. She knew exactly what I'm talking about. They're, they're, they're feeling perfectly okay. Did any of you guys ever get up one morning and say, you know what, I think I'm going to work those stinking steps today? <laughs> As a general rule, some of you may have done that, but as a general rule, what usually happens is, is that we get up, we're sitting on the edge of the bed, we're smoking that first cigarette or drinking that first cup of coffee, and we're sitting there looking at the wall on that 100-yard stare, and our life is so painful to be in. I'm so uncomfortable in my own skin that I finally say, today, I'll do this today. It's pain that starts it. Well, an interesting correlation is, is that it's that same kind of physical and emotional pain that keeps me on the path to do the step work. So it's like, if I had no DWI, if I had no busted relationships, if I had no external stuff that fell apart and I quit drinking and I'm depending on those external circumstances to keep me on the path heading through the steps, I can do that for a little while right up to the point that we ask you to do something that you don't want to do, like an inventory or, or an amends or something like this. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then you're going to go like, no way. Why would I want to do that, you see? However, if I could sell you the idea that you had a chronic disease that gets worse, never better, and that you will die crapping in a diaper or some other way before you ever get to the end of this deal, Perhaps I can paint you a picture that is so unlovely and so painful that you'll say, uh, okay, 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 I'm motivated. I will do this. And, and that's, that, I think, is, the, is probably the smarter thing to do. Instead of taking a new guy and hugging him on the neck and telling him it's going to be great, pat him on the little bottom and tell him everything is going to be fine, keep coming back and all this kind of stuff, I would rather spend five or ten minutes with him in the back room giving him the worst case of alcoholism that I can give him. I'd like him to walk out like him to walk out of that room feeling like he'd been bitch slapped 
because maybe he feels like... I mean, really, I want him to walk out of the room feeling so uncomfortable about his, it's, his situation. Oh my gosh, this thing is going to get worse, not better if I don't do something. And therein lies the motivation to do the rest of the stuff that we're going to ask him to do. And it seems to work great. It seems to work. That's the reason why if you can ask this guy these questions, the stuff on page 44 that we were talking about this morning, if we can get this guy to himself begin to internalize his own situation based on his experience, not my experience. That's the reason why the war stories drive me nuts. That we're trying to get this guy to say he wants to be sober based on my experience. And that it doesn't work. I want him to think back. Hey, Slick, let me ask you a question. Did, did you ever, ever drink to change the way you felt? Uh-huh. Interesting. Let's talk about that some. You see what I'm saying? Then we'll go through. Did you ever drink more than you intended to drink? Uh-huh. Terrific. Well, let me tell you what I found out. When I did exactly the same thing, what I found out, I had to come to grips with the fact was is that I was an alcoholic. Remember how they 12-step Fred? They never said, hey, Fred, you're a drunk. They never said, Fred, you're an alcoholic. They painted a picture, and Fred goes, uh-huh, uh-huh, that, uh-huh, that's me. And finally, Fred had no choice. He had to connect all the dots up, and he went, oh, wait, wait a minute. I'm, hell, I'm just like you, aren't I? And they go, uh-huh. And he goes, I must be an alcoholic just like you. And they went, very good, Fred. Sit down. Let's get busy. And there it was, you see? I th the reason I went through that is because I think there's some confusion in AA land when we talk about this stuff. There's some, some confusion that we are there trying to call this guy an alcoholic. That we're trying to take away the personal responsibility for the decision. And we're not. I'm just trying to facilitate the decision so that he knows what he's doing. I'm just trying to put it all out there so that then he can make the, the, the decision of whether or not he's one of us or not. Because he has to know that. We, the moment we take this thing... The moment that we, I, I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain. It's like, I think that we've gotten so smart in AA that we think we can intellectualize everything. And the reality of that is, is that it causes all kinds of problems. This is not an intellectual exercise. This is, a, this is an emotional kind of an internalizing, oh crap, that's what I am, kind of an exercise. And that's why it's important that we understand that stuff. Because if I can internalize it down here, if I can get it from here to here, then I'm, I'm, I'm screwed and I know I'm screwed. It's like, this, it's like being flippant about a cancer or something like this that we talked about last night a little bit. It's like, I don't, uh, um, if somebody told you that you had cancer, most of us will take it really serious and we'll internalize it and we'll go, oh, and I see a, gr a tombstone in my head and I see lots of bad medical stuff and I see all kinds of hurt and pain and suffering and it's, it's ugly. But, I, but it didn't take me that long to internalize it but it also didn't take me that long to draw the line to what do I need to do as a program of action or recovery to get clear of the cancer. The doctor says he wants you where? At the clinic Monday morning. At what time? 8 o'clock. Great. Where do you think he's going to be at 8 o'clock Monday morning? In the parking lot in front of the clinic waiting for it to open up. There's no question about that. Nobody goes, well, I'm really busy that day. I think maybe we'll make this another day. We don't do that, do we? Because we take it seriously. We don't, we don't, there's no trivial stuff there. There's no, no ambivalence about how serious this is. And yet alcoholism kills more people than, than can, all forms of cancer combined. Alcoholism and its manifestations kill that many people. And so I don't understand why we take it so, why we're so flippant around it. You brand new guys and you younger guys and even you older guys that haven't done it, if they have a, uh, if they have a hospital ward where they treat brain dead 
uh, drunks. Oh, you owe it to yourself. They've got a big one in Texas down just south of Dallas, and I've taken my guys over there numerous times, and you walk into this big, long ward, and the room is almost as long as this room, not nearly as wide, but almost as long, and it's as beds as far as you can see, and all you have in them are men and women crapping in diapers. They're brain dead. They're done. They're done. They're just waiting for them to die. And it's the saddest, saddest thing in the world. And my guys, the, the little, little, little piss ants that I take up there, they're all full of crap walking in and walking out. They're, if they have a dry eye, I'm surprised. But more importantly, there's no flippant talk. There's no goofing around. There's no joking around. These men have had their nose rubbed in the finality and the, and the ugliness of this disease. And they are motivated to do something. And trust me, there was not one man, not one woman on that ward that got up one morning and said, hey, you know what, I think today's the day I'm going to crap in a diaper. Every one of those men and women thought they had another chance, another chance to sober up. And they didn't. Because of the chronic nature of this disease, often we just get too sick to come back. And it's a scary thing. Anyway, enough of that. We spent an hour just now talking about a solution. And, and we're not going to spend that much time on anything else. We're going to split this thing up a little bit, and we're going to move a little quicker through this thing because, it, A, it's not necessary to spend that much more time on it. This step one stuff is so critical to us, to our understanding. It affects how, it affects how we work our own personal program. And I think more importantly in this thing, excuse me, it affects... I shouldn't eat before I get lathered up. I'll eat tonight. The, it's, the, more importantly, it affects how we sponsor how we treat the guys that we, that we carry through this work. If we, if we truly understand the, the, the nature of step one, then we become really, really effective sponsors. That's the, first, that's the cornerstone of our own sponsorship kind of stuff. If we're ambivalent about our own disease, we'll be ambivalent about your disease too, which means I'm going to let you skirt around and skate around a lot of things that you really need to be addressing. That's why it's so important, and that's the reason why we spend so much time talking about it, so you can begin the process of taking apart your own disease and looking at it in your own way so that you can get to the same common area where we are. So, but if, so if we understand that step one was the problem, we identified it, that that's what it is. Then step two, ironically, it was so quick how they, they, they just simply dumped it on the table right there next to it, was the solution. This idea of what we had to do in order to get clear of this thing. Um, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So it's, it's just the coolest how Bill turns this thing. I want you to pay attention the rest of today on how often in these steps we talk about booze. It's very seldom. Booze has little to do with it. From this moment on, booze has next to nothing to do with it. This has, they, talk about, they, didn't talk, they didn't talk about returning us to being able to not drink. They didn't phrase it that way. They talked about restoring us to sanity. What does sanity got to do with any of this stuff? It's got everything to do with it. it because it's, it's the insane idea that I can, by my own accord, stare clear of the booze that causes 90% of my problems. Let me ask you a question. Is there anybody in here that doesn't have an Uncle Joe? I've got big quotation marks up here. An Uncle Joe in your family, and he's the legend in the family. Well, I had old Uncle Joe. He just got tired of drinking one day and decided to stop drinking. We all have that. It's in every family. He was such a bad alcoholic, and he just decided to stop drinking. Guess what? Uncle Joe probably was not an alcoholic. 
And he, he stopped, he can moderate, he's a, he's a hard drinker. Bill describes him in three different places in the big book, describes this cat. And yet it's a funny thing, even in the darkest part of the night, my head wants to sell me this idea that that's me. Why can't I do it? Uncle Joe did it. Well, what am I saying? Uncle Joe wasn't even an alcoholic. But I still want to connect it like that. It's just the craziest thing. My mom, God love her. I've been sober for 21 years, and my mom, a year ago, I heard her talking to somebody, and she said, yeah, and Myers and Chris, I just, they just finally got this deal, and they just sobered up. I just, you know, they don't drink anymore. I just, finally, the willpower was there. And I just went, I went oh, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, my God. This solution thing. Listen, guys, step two is so quick it's so it's so there how many of you guys have sat in meetings with people going i'm working on step two well i'm, I'm just on I'm, I'm working on step two and five months later they're still sitting in the meeting going well you know i'm just not quite there i can't talk about that step four because i'm still working on step two okay let's rust this thing down just a little bit okay before we do let's look at one thing the old ideas that we were talking about last night this is the place that it kicks our butt the most the old idea that we bring into this thing. It's like um, somebody said one time that 90% of the people that come into AA have God stuck sideways in their crawl. That there's just a real problem with God. If we looked at this close and we really identified it, the problem is not with God. The problem is with religion. It's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's that. It's a, I've had religion shoved up my butt since I was a kid and I pushed away from it. I pushed back. And, and so when I come in here, the mention of God, and I immediately connect it with religion, and I don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, what's my, what's my problem? Is it religion? No. Is it God? No. It's old ideas. It's old ideas. And this is why it's so important that we look at it and recognize it that it's there. It's like, the, it's like the naked guy in the room. Nobody wants to look at the naked guy and say, hey, what's the naked guy doing in the room? Everybody wants to ignore it. The, problem, the problems are the old ideas that keep me separated from the truth of what this literature is trying to tell me. And there's lots of it. Believe me, there, there's nobody in the world more contemptuous than the man that's had a lot of religion shoved at him. And he's pushing away from it. I understand. I'm not judging it. I'm just saying that there's a whole lot of contempt there. And we've got to deal with it. Because here's the, here's the problem. There, <laughs> the good news is this program works. The bad news is, is that there is a program, and we must follow that program if we plan to get from point A to point B. And at the crux of that, at the, at the absolute epicenter of that program, is something called a spiritual awakening. This spiritual truth that we are going to come to know. And yet, I don't know of a way, I don't know of a way to, to, to get there otherwise than that. And yet we're so willing to accept everything else except that in a lot of places. I'll take one side road. I promise you I'll bring it back like that. I got an email from a guy the other day who said that there was a group starting up in Texas that was a, uh, an, an atheist group. It's an Alcoholics Anonymous group of atheists. And, 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 and they went in and, and rewrote the steps that mention God. That, that, that it's not in there. Um, and, and you're welcome to come, and they encourage you to come. And they, Remember, two-thirds of the people that came to AA originally, I don't know what it is now, were agnostics, and there's a big difference between the two. But these are, these are pure-bone, I-don't-believe-in-God type thing. Well, I have two questions for you. One, why did they call it AA? Why couldn't they call it Atheist Recovery Group or, or 
Freaking losers. I don't care. But why, did, why do they have to call it AA? Because all it does is just conflict with everything else. But the part that got me the most, the part of the whole story that absolutely drove me insane when I heard it, was not that these men and women wanted to do this atheist group. It was that the inner group in Austin was, was considering um, uh, stocking their literature. That's the stuff that baffles me. That we would so readily, without one moment of conversation, accept them into the deal. Tradition 4 says we can set our meetings up any way we want to as long as it doesn't affect AA as a whole. I don't know about you guys, but I think rewriting the steps affects AA as a whole, don't you? Okay, I'll bring it back. I'll, I'll, no, no more side trips. Okay, here's the deal. Because of this intellectual thing, th th therein lies the problem. Um, um, I, I simply want to make everything intellectually connect up. And there are certain things that just aren't going to connect up sometimes. I, they just can't do it. Some things in our program you have to just simply take uh, as, uh, on faith that that's the way it is. Remember, uh, uh, on, at the bottom of page 25, I want to read something to you real quick. and you'll, you'll, um, At the bottom of page 25, if you're seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. Love that sentence. Makes me all weepy. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. And if we had passed into a region from which there is no return through human aid, dig, no sponsor's going to keep you sober, no group's going to keep you sober, no, no human aid. That's where we are. But we had two alternatives, not three. Is there anybody in here that wanted a third door, Monty? I, it's me. I, I just want one more choice. Why does it have to be black or white? Why does it have to be either or like that? But this is it. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our, of our intolerable situation as best we could. The other was to accept spiritual help. I didn't write it, okay? So if I know, so because some of us, I sponsor guys like this. They want to they twist this word around. They want to they position it so that they can still hold on to their atheist beliefs that there is nothing else out there bigger than they are and, then, and still recover. And I'm not going to say that you can't do it, because some of you will walk up here and say, hey, I did that. I, I know that. The, but the, the deal was is that Bill Wilson, those guys, wrote this program, and, and at its core was a spiritual connection. There was something out there bigger than you that could fix this deal. This wasn't a self-help deal. This wasn't a pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps deal. This wasn't a man-up deal. This was a let go of the crap and let God fix this stuff. So all we have to do is just figure out a way to get you from this grindy position over here where you hate God and everything about it to a place where you can accept the idea. See, everybody wants to come in and, and have this deal. Uh, I, I want faith now. Well, faith doesn't come like that, guys. Faith comes from what? Belief. It has to start someplace. And belief is where it's going to start. And so you simply have to believe. If you don't believe it works for you, did you believe, would you believe it worked for me? I don't know. We'd have to talk about it. But as we began this conversation, if I can convince you that I was where you are, that I hated everything, you talk to me about God and Jesus and stuff like this, and I'm going, because I'm the cat that sat in the Sunday school class, and I am not a sunbeam for Jesus. I'm looking around the room going, I don't understand you people. Are you, you guys are fruitcakes. Why? Don't ask me to sing Kumbaya. I don't want to do any of that stuff. And there's where I am, okay? However... It's just a postscript. I think it's really interesting that most of us who felt just like that come full circle back around the room 
and come right back in, and pretty soon we're teaching Sunday school, and I'm leading kumbaya. It's just like, it's like, I got no problems with it, none whatsoever. I love Jesus. But, the, the, but you're missing, I'm, I'm, I'm sliding you off to one side, and I shouldn't. The point is this, is that in the beginning of this thing, um, it takes a couple of seconds to get a guy understanding his truth about this thing. Are you willing to believe that there's anything out there bigger than you? Uh-uh. Well, then, Slick, we don't have much we can talk about. I don't know what else I can do for you. You know, let me, let me, uh, hey, there's some great coffee out there. Let me introduce you to some other folks. I'd like you to get to know some of these guys, too, while you're here and this kind of stuff. Whoa, 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 where, whoa, whoa, where are you going? You're just going to leave me? No, I'm just going to go in the next room. See, I only have one thing to offer you. I have a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, and at its core is a spiritual connection. I don't expect you to believe it now. I don't even, I don't even, I don't even... I don't even kind of expect you to have a, 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 anything close to a full-formed idea of what, of what God looks like, what God feels like, what this spiritual stuff is. All I'm asking you is could you be willing to accept the idea that there's something else out there bigger than you? Bill Wilson wrote a whole chapter trying to get you to look at your own contemptuous nature around things spiritual. And if you can come to grips with that, you could make that beginning. It's going to take the rest of the work to break down the intellectual crap that keeps you in bondage. It's going to take the rest of the work for you to get there. But you've got to start someplace. You have to be willing to start the process. And all you have to do is go, yeah, I guess I'm willing. Rock and roll. Let's sit down and look at this third step. Wait a minute, there's not more to it than that? No, why should there be? That's it. I, I, I can't, I can't, at this stage of the game, I can't make you believe what you don't believe. You've made great strides. At least you're willing to believe that this is possible. And guess what? When it happens in your life, you're going to walk through that door and you're going to be smiling ear to ear and you're going to know here, not intellectually, that it's real. That it's real. Any of you guys that are active in sponsorship, before we get into the third step, any of you guys that are active in sponsorship, you've probably already seen this a hundred times. It is an amazing thing to see this little arrogant pisshead stand there in front of you and talk for 20 minutes about how much he hates God. And I, and I have nothing, I got, I'm sorry you feel that way, I do, and, but I can relate, I understand why you feel that way, but if we could ever get you down just to shake this thing back down to its basic stuff, I promise you, you will be amazed. When you're, by the time we get into this inventory and you start busting this stuff down and see what all you brought to the table in terms of your debacle, it's going to be the most amazing thing you've ever seen. Crazy stuff. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys, when, when you got to page 60, 61, 62, and 63, when you got to the ABCs at the bottom of the deal, how many of you guys and gals uh, wondered why they put it there? Did it, didn't it seem out of place to you? It did to me. It's like, it's, like, it's like Bill wrote the whole book, got all the way through, and then somebody went, oh, fuck, Bill, we forgot this cool stuff that we re Remember this stuff right here? Where are we going to put it? And he said, oh, just put it right there. It didn't, it didn't make any sense to me that it was, that it was where it was. And I, and I, in sitting in meetings, we certainly never talked about it. I didn't even really know it was in the book until I was seven years sober, until I was over with, this, with these, these book study guys, and, and they, were, they were driving it home. What Bill and those cats hoped we would do is, is that they would get to a point where we would look at these ABCs, and we'd take the first two ABCs, the first A and B, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. True or false? True. Check. Next that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. Bill's expecting you to, if you, if you doubt that, there cannot be the lurking notion that sooner or later the yoga's gonna work. <laughs> you, gotta run that, you gotta run that trip. 
do whatever you got to do to get there. That's the reason why Bill freely said you might need to go do some more drinking. I know it drives some of you nuts, and then mention it in a meeting, they'll be looking for a big old long piece of rope to hang you for saying it. But Bill spoke freely about this stuff. We don't want you standing at this point um, ambivalent about those two questions on the deal. And that see that God couldn't would if he were sought. That's our, st our, our second step part right there. And then being convinced we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. How many of you guys from your, um, from your AA experiences, uh, past and present, um, bought into the idea that we should make no major decisions for a year? I did. I did. I mean, that was, that was part, of my, part of my mantra, you know. Oh, we don't want you making any big... Let me ask you a question. <laughs> Let's see, step three said, which is we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Guys, I can't imagine any bigger decision that we could ever make. I'm getting ready. Not only am I getting ready to turn my will and my life over to God, I don't even understand him. I don't even know who this cat is, and I'm getting ready to do this. This is what it's asking me to do. This is pretty heady stuff, and we're right off the bat. If I'm sponsoring you, it's in our first meeting that we're doing this. We had 30 or 40 minutes after the meeting, the big meeting, and we, sh we, we shag off into one of those little bitty rooms like this, and we're doing one, two, and three right then. Right then. Not months. Right then. There is no reason. I understand if you, uh, I won't argue with you, because you're certainly entitled to your opinion on the deal, but the, the, the nomenclature, the way the book sets itself up, the way they describe this thing, they seem to be some urgency Next, we launched that on a course of vigorous action. Now, action, more action. Remember these words and how they put it in this thing? There seems to be this, this, this movement that once the momentum gets started, it's not a good idea to stop it. So just keep moving. You got this guy going, uh-huh, uh-huh, like this. Just keep him right on moving like this. If you can show me a good reason why you can't do that, we'll consider it. I'm willing to consider anything. Guys, they didn't, I didn't write this stuff, and I'm willing to look at anything from a new and different light any of it. I'm willing to re-examine. However, I just think that when we get into these situations and we start moving through this thing, I have worked guys through where I took a year to get them through the work and I've worked guys through where it takes 30 days to get them through the work and I can tell you from working with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men that going fast is ten times better. You lose far less and you end up with little, little protégés on the other end that are rocking and rolling, doing really, really well. Um, it says, I'm, I'm at the bottom of page 60, on that basis we're almost always in collision with something or somebody even though our motives are good. Now you notice on the next three pages they're not mentioning booze one time. We're not talking about alcohol. That's the reason why I'm baffled that it's in here at this particular place. I was getting up a good big old head of steam about not drinking and they're not talking about drinking again. They're talking about me, my selfishness. Now, I'm going to read a couple of pieces of this thing and just see, just see, I know you guys have read a lot of this a million times, some of you, but, but in your mind's eye, see if you can still picture yourself in this scenario. Some of us carry this stuff way off into sobriety. It may be years since I had a drink, but this, is, this still manifests on a daily basis in my life, okay? Uh, each person is like the actor who wants to run, a whole, run the whole show. Bill Wilson's brilliant like the actor. I'm not even the director. I'm the actor, but I want to run the whole show. It's forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. 
everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. I want you to think, men, think of personal relationships with women when I'm reading this. <laughs> All right? Life would be when trying to make these arrangements, our actor may be sometimes quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most humans, he is more likely to have varied traits. See, we can put it in personal relationships with women real easy because they're so real and tangible in our life. And if we'll be honest and look at it, stop and think about the last girl you courted. Couldn't you be kind and generous? Uh-huh. Couldn't you be a mean son of a bitch too? Uh-huh. Couldn't you be forceful and demanding? Uh-huh. Couldn't you be understanding, considerate? Could Oh, I love the movie channel. I, I love those movies. I mean, couldn't you say whatever you needed to say in order to... Couldn't you? Sure we can. I don't think girls would do this, but I know guys do. <laughs> Dara Vasquez is one of my favorite women in AA. She goes to our group. I bust her anonymity every chance I can. I just love doing it. But the, 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 Dara's taught me more about women than anybody. I have a wife and three daughters and a history of busted up relationships, and I never learned as much as what I learned from Dara. Because some girl will say something, and she'll look at me like this, and she'll go, like this? I'll pull her aside after the meeting. I said, what do you mean? He said, she's just lying. She's just, she, come on. And it's funny thing, after 15 years of listening to her do that, she's dead right. And she's just taught me tons about this stuff. You deceitful women. All right. All right, what usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He becomes, on the next occasion, still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. Still the play does not suit him. Now, admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure the other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? And is there anybody in here that can't see that, like there's neon lights on top of that when somebody's trying to do that stuff? Most people know they're being manipulated. Most people see it, it with this, 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 like a big spotlight right on it. And we're thinking we're being cool. We're thinking we're, yeah, she doesn't see this. <laughs> Is he not the victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages well? Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Is he not, even in the best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? Guys, this is absolutely true in every drunk I've ever seen, but let me tell you something. If you'll pay attention to your AA groups when you're looking around at Joe and Tom and Bob and Sue and you're just looking around the room, isn't this true sitting in your meeting of people who are sitting there dying of untreated alcoholism and it's manifesting in every selfish thing that they're talking about on this page? These are the tangible things that tell me that I am simply off the page. Could, could a guy on a spiritual path still be selfish? It's possible, but not to this extent, not like this. Usually when you see people that are, that are, how many times have you been hit on by guys in meetings? How many times have you had people in meetings borrow money from you? How many times have you had people in meetings do all kinds of stupid things, say they would do something and not do them? These are, are, are physical manifestations of a program that is not spiritually centered. We're, this is, 
self-centeredness has risen its ugly head and is now taken back over again. And that's the reason why we see so much wreckage in our rooms. That's why we see so many people struggling in AA. It's because they're so focused on the drink that they take their eye off what the real problem is, which is this thing called self. We're going to talk about it. 62, when we flip back over on the next page, selfishness and self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Booze and crank, that we think is the root of our troubles. See, if Bill Wilson had asked me to, writ, to write this, that's how I would have written it. Because I, is there anybody in here that doesn't want to draw a direct line from my drama to the booze and the drugs? I, I mean, come on. Is there anybody in here that hasn't had that idea, that thought in their head for maybe sometimes years on into this deal? If I get rid of the booze, if I stop being a booze hound, all of this other stuff is going to go away. I'm going to be okay. And for a little bit of time, it seems that way. And then as we get farther and farther from that last drink, and our ego and arrogance rekindle itself, the spiritual malady begins to rebuild itself, and pretty soon, it's, it's hell on earth at the Raymer household. I am angry, I'm indignant, I feel like I'm entitled to everything. How come this house isn't this way? How come she didn't look at me this way? How come? And I'm on fruitcake again. <laughs> and it's all based on one thing, selfishness. And it had nothing to do with booze. Nothing. And that's, the, and that's the reason why it all seems so out of place to me. Because at the same time I'm reading this thing, I'm thinking, why did Bill talk about selfishness and self-centeredness so much? I'm not selfish. I'm not. I'm Mr. Giving and Loving. I am. Just don't ask my wife. Just please. Or my kids. The punching bags. I mean, I just don't do that. They just... Bad deal. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows, and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. I'll read one more little thing, and then we'll stop on this. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. That's an intellectual statement that needs to stop being intellectual and needs to be internalized. We need, that's what the inventory is getting ready to show you on a gut level that you were a willing participant in the drama that is your life. And some of you will embrace that and some of you will resist that with a vehemence that is, pal it is tangible. You can't, I can't say palatable. That's it. You're not going to believe that you can do it. it, it it's like the dead last thing that Myers Raymer wants to do is admit that Myers Raymer had anything to do with those busted up relationships that I had anything to do with the fact that, that, that my, my, my co-workers think I'm a joke at work. I don't, I don't want to think that. I want to I draw a, a, a direct line to booze and the crank that I used to do. I want to draw a direct line to all of that and say, okay, that's what made me make all these bad decisions. That's what made me do all this other kind of stuff. And yeah, they played a part in it, guys. They sure did. It's like... I've got an employer that asks me if I want to work some overtime. And I say, absolutely, absolutely. Raises are coming up here pretty quick. Promotions are coming up here pretty quick. On the day he asked me if I want to, if I want to um, 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 work that overtime, I said, well, I can't today. Now, I've I, I got to tell him a lie because what I really want to do is I really want to go to the strip joint and drink beer. I don't really want to work <laughs> late. I'm, I'm, I really don't. And so I, I, I just tell him I can't. And he asked me again later on. 
He asked me another day, he asked me the same thing, and it's the same thing. I'd rather sit in my truck and drink a quart of beer hot <laughs> than, to, than to work overtime. So raises come out, no raise. Promotions come out, no promotion. And I spend the next 10 years hating that SOB because I didn't get the raise and I didn't get the promotion and I didn't get any of this kind of stuff. How dare him? Doesn't he know what a fine employee I am? And I paint this picture that I tell you and I repeat it a thousand times, the story I want you to hear. I minimize it or maximize it to be exactly what I want it to be. And pretty soon I got you hating that employer too. I do. And that's just the way it is. And I'm destined to repeat that same scenario a thousand times. A thousand times. All the time pointing fingers at somebody else. And it would take me years in inventory before I would finally break it all down and look at it and go, holy cow. That was maybe the best boss I ever had. And you know what? What an opportunity I threw away because I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it. Amazing stuff. At the bottom of that, they tell us what we're supposed to do. God's going to have to get in the picture. They're not offering us any other choices. We had to have God's help, period. It's a declarative statement. We had to have God's help. And then they give you the great third step promises, which is just an amazing deal. Look at this prayer. One more little piece of evidence that I want you to understand before I get out of here. This idea, in the center of that prayer, is a line that says, relieve me of the bondage of self. I, I want to take two seconds just to talk about this stuff. Again, I was waiting for the call from Bill Wilson to say, Myers, we're a little disappointed in how the big book turned out, and we'd like you to write this chapter for us. Especially, we'd like you to rethink and maybe reevaluate this prayer. And I would have gladly done that. Because in the middle of it, it would have said, relieve me of the bondage of Jack Daniels. But it, it didn't say that. And I'm appalled and quite surprised that it never mentions booze anywhere in there. This is our big prayer. This is it. This is, this is Mecca here. And, and it doesn't even mention the booze. And I can't understand. And in the middle of this thing, it says, relieve me of the bondage of self. And then all of a sudden, I began to understand. This is why Bill Wilson wrote this here. Because he began to understand that at the crux of the problem, if I never dealt with self and all of its ugly manifestations, of which fear is one, if I never dealt with that in this inventory, I would never stay sober, ever stay sober. Because spiritually, I'm so sick, and these are all tangible manifestations of that sickness. This is the, this is the, the ugliness of the thing that we see. And that's the reason why I get so irritated when I sit in meetings and people share their sobriety dates like it's some kind of mandal, like some kind of, you know, like it's, it's, it's John alcoholic, 30 years. You know, and before the meeting's over, he's going to follow some girl out in the coffee area and be hitting on her, you know. Or, 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 we, or, we, or, or he's going to hit the new guy up out front because he drove up in a fancy car. Hey, you know, but I'm, I'm a little short of money this month. Can you help me with this? Borrowing money. Borrowing money. This, all this other kind of stuff, you see. These are the, this is why this stuff is so important. Self manifested, manifested in various ways is what kills me. I promise you guys at least from my personal experience, when you get up in the morning and you sit there on the edge of the bed and you're kind of looking out across the room and you're just kind of, kind of sizing the day up in your head, you said a little thank you God right there, it ain't booze that's waiting for you. I promise you, booze is not the thing that you have to worry about. Self, 
is what you have to worry about and all of its manifestations. And I promise you, if you're not careful, before you get those ugly pajamas pulled down to go to the bathroom, self is already rearing its ugly head and you're already twisting in the wind thinking about the things that you have to do. And she's going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and then pretty soon like this. Any of you guys ever get up a little spiritual giant, and by the time you're eating a bowl of Cheerios, you're just kind of going, looking at, just grinding your teeth. You can't, by the time you get through traffic, you're a fruitcake, and you walk in the office, and you're daring somebody to say something to you. Go ahead, Slick. Say anything to me. I'm going to kill you right here. <laughs> None of you guys got like that. I'll tell you, I was just, I just like You know, in Texas, on concealed carry questionnaires, they don't even ask you that kind of stuff. That ought to be at the top of the list. Have you ever really thought about shooting somebody? <laughs> every hour. <laughs> it just Every hour. Oh, my God. At the very bottom of this thing, this is only a beginning, though an honest one, um, and humbly made, if honestly and humbly made, in effect, sometimes a very great one, was felt at once. I'm going to read one little paragraph. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us have never attempted. That's the stuff that Chris is going to cover right after lunchtime. It's important to understand this stuff. I, don't, I think Bill wrote what he, what, he, what he meant to write. I don't think that Bill was trying to be flowery. I don't think that Bill was trying to be... I think that they put a great deal of effort into how they put this thing and how they set it up. It says, next... What does next mean to you? Next means next. Next, we go to lunch. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. Those poor little bastards that I sponsor, they, they get up off their knees from doing a third step prayer and guess what we're gonna do? I'm handing them a notebook or a set of worksheets or whatever, however it is we're gonna work through the deal. But we're, we're starting them right there. There is no logical reason to wait any longer. We're not waiting for God to catch up to bless him. We're not waiting for grace to catch up. He, it's already been done. It was done the moment we said that prayer on our knees. It's done. There's no reason to not go ahead and show God that we are serious by our very actions that we're ready to continue on with the rest of this stuff. And when you do that, when you begin to get into this little mode of doing this this way, what you'll find is, is that sponsorship becomes real easy. We're, we're going to talk about this some in the morning at some length. Um, You'll be amazed. The, the momentum has already started, and once the momentum going, pretty soon your guy is calling you on the phone and says, do you realize that two weeks ago we started the steps and I'm already making amends? Yes, I, re I realize that. I realize that. I also realize that in the last week you haven't called me one time about that relationship. You see what I'm saying? We're getting better. We're getting well. This thing, the, these, these things that we hang on our program, that we impose on our program, that are based on somebody else's experience need to stop. Well, you can't work a guy through the work in, a, in less than a year. Thank you for sharing your opinion. It is not, not what is represented right here. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. Why wait? And yet I am baffled. And most of you guys, if you've been to one AA meeting or you've been to 1,000 AA meetings, you've heard this time and time again. I'm working on my four-step. And six, and six months later, well, I'm still working on that old four-step. And we're going to bust this little sucker down right after lunch and look real close at that and see if we can't take that old Fredbear idea and get rid of it too. Thank you so much.